I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Fight fans, I'm Mo Chatra, and welcome to another edition of MMA Monthly. That's right, we're back after um, a two-month gap. Um, just to briefly explain, we had a bit of a technical hitch um, with the recording of the last one, which was quite the epic recording. And so unfortunately, we lost that due to technical issues. But um, we hopefully will be fine and dandy for this one. And um, as always, I'm joined by my um, co-host. And colleague, the one and only Dave Hendrick. How are you, Dave? I'm great, Mo. Rumours are that the podcast that we recorded last month is actually the greatest podcast in the history of podcasts. And um, given it was lost, I'm going to blame Guy for not being available uh, to record it for us and leaving us to our own devices. Clearly, what we've learned is that neither of us are capable of recording podcasts. Absolutely, yes. We're... um certainly uh, technophobes in that regard. So, uh, yes, that's why we're glad to have Guy back at the desk and uh, editing and recording this, and hopefully we'll be fine. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's uh, one of those all-time great podcasts, which is which is lost forever. But uh, never mind, we'll make up for it on this one. Right, so then, Dave, um, it's been quite the busy month, quite the eventful time um, in the world of mixed martial arts and specifically UFC. Uh, we've got a lot to get through, um, and let, let's start uh, with um, some shows that have happened in the last several weeks, and rewind back to the 28th of January for the UFC on Fox show, which um, emanated out of the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado. Um, th- this was actually a, a pretty good show, um, some good undercard fights, um, but let's talk about the final two contests, if we can. Um, firstly, we had... Um, George Masvidal against uh, Cowboy Cerrone in a welterweight contest. And um, some people were uh, surprised by this because it was Masvidal that emerged victorious TKO in the second round. Yeah, I think I was a bit surprised about about the outcome as well. Um, But Masvidal is is a really, really good striker. He's one of the better strikers in the welterweight division. And I, I just don't think Cowboy took him took him seriously enough. I think he thought he'd, he'd blitz through him. 
the problem Cerrone has is that he doesn't give himself enough time between fights to properly prepare. He fights too regularly, and while it's very admirable that he does go out and fight, yeah, that guy will fight every two weeks if they allow him, but he needs to take more time between fights to properly prepare because he's not changing his style for the opponent. He's not factoring in, factoring in what their strengths and weaknesses are. He just tries to go out and do his own thing every time. And that'll work against the Matt Browns of this world, but it won't work when you step up, especially against a striker of the quality of Masvidal. So for me, this is this fight ended the way it did for two reasons. Masvidal's in, in, immense striking and the fact that Cerrone just doesn't prepare properly for fights. Now Dana White has said he's going to have to take more time between fights from now on because this is the... I think the third pretty brutal beating that Cerrone's taken in the last couple of years. Um, so that kind of thing will have a knock-on effect. And Cerrone is a very, very good fighter. He's a guy who's always kind of in the top, you know, six to ten in whatever weight class he happens to be competing in. But he just needs to take a bit more time between his fights. I mean, Pettis beat lumps out of him. Um, Dos Anjos absolutely annihilated him for the lightweight title and now this and you know you look at his fighting uh, record he, he fought four times last year four times the year before I think four times the year before like four times a year is a lot three times a year is about right um, but he doesn't have the longest turnaround between a lot of his fights he tends to take two three fights in a couple of months and then just disappear for a while so he needs to space his fights better maybe he needs to look at changing up his camp um getting not not changing trainers but just getting some different guys to come in so he gets different looks uh, rather than just training with the same guys over and over agreed um he did certainly look flat and um in contrast masvidal looked supreme um and really looked primed and ready for a title shot against uh, potential winner of um, Wonderboy and uh, Tyron Woodley, which we'll talk about later on. Uh, the main event then had um, a women's bantamweight contest between Valentina Shevchenko, number one ranked contender for Amanda Nunes championship and um, Juliana Pena. And um, this was Shevchenko who won this one in the second round via submission and really looked good again. So, um, what did you make of this one, Dave? Yeah, Shevchenko looked great in this fight. And she has looked great in all her UFC fights, with the exception of her fight against Amanda Nunes, when she got, I thought, beaten pretty comprehensively, um, went to a decision, but, you know, I, I think it was it was always clear what the, what the final result was going to be. The, she's a very, very good fighter, and she's very well-rounded, and that's the thing about her, is that, you know, she's got good submissions, but she's also a fantastic striker. I mean, she's got a great Muay Thai background. She does have a style, being a southpaw, that could possibly cause Nunes some problems, but she's going to have to, you know, fight on the outside a little bit more, not be so bullheaded in wanting to engage with Nunes, because if you engage with Nunes, it's just it's going to end only one way, and that's with you staring at the, at the lights. Um, but a really impressive performance from Shevchenko, and I think she is a very, very good fighter. Oh, absolutely, that's right. As you say, um, competitive against Nunes, went to a decision against her, and um, you know looked very, very on top of her game. 
And of all of the women in the bantamweight division, arguably the one that will give um, the champ the sternest uh, co- um, contest. So uh, all in all, um, a good night for um, Shevchenko, a very good night for Masvidal, and a good show overall. Um, that just Can we just take that- a moment to point out what, what really made this show good was Nate Marquardt losing, because any show where he loses is good for me. I just cannot stand that guy. He, he's the one fighter that I just, I always want to see him lose. Oh, we all have fighters like that, don't we? Um, I mean, Mark White, it's surprising with him that he's still around in the UFC, really, isn't it? Um, he's been around around the MMA scene forever. Um, doesn't really, I don't really understand what he offers UFC these days. Um, as a top-level fighter, he's not that anymore. Um, he's not really a, a charismatic name that will, Know, draw viewing figures or attendances. Um, he's a reliable old pro, but um, nothing more than that. But you know, there's plenty of hungry fighters out there that have got a lot more to offer. So, well, uh, he's lost eight of his last 13 fights mm-hmm. and seven of his last 10. I mean, that's not a guy that should be in the UFC, like, he really shouldn't. Um, it, it's time to just you know cut the cord there and then send him on his way. He, he doesn't belong in the UFC. Uh, he wasn't even good enough in strike force, you know, so it, it's time to send him on his way. It is, it is. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year that he finally is heading back into the uh, smaller leagues. Um, right. Fast forwarding on to um, a UFC fight night um, that took place on the 4th of February um, out of uh, the Seattle Center in Houston, Texas. Um, I thought this was a pretty good show. Um, it had a very, very good fight between Jessica Andrade and um, Angela Hill in the women's strawweight contest. Um, but this show is mainly vented by um, Dennis Bermudez taking on a fighter that we haven't seen for several years, um, the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung in a featherweight contest. And um, it was the returning uh, Korean zombie that had Bermudez looking at the lights. Yeah, I mean, look, it's always great to see the zombie back and he's just he's one of the most entertaining fighters in the world but we're looking at like a three and a half year layoff this guy has had like it doesn't seem like that long but his last fight was against jose aldo um where he got knocked out but he'd broken his foot in that fight and he was actually having some success against aldo um it's just it's bizarre that it's been so long since we've seen him but it shows the kind of drawing power that he has that he comes back. And I know it's a, it's a free TV fight, but he's still the headline fight. Um, I think he is a guy the UFC can push because of his style. The nickname is obviously very cool. There's a lot of really cool merchandise. Um, before he was even in the UFC, Dana White was wearing Korean zombie T-shirts. So it, it, there's clearly uh, you know something there that Dana likes him. And I think he's a guy we'll see more of. He's still, I think he's 29 so I think he's still got a good few years left. Obviously, the style he fights with doesn't really lend to a long career. Um, maybe that's why he's only had uh, 18 fights in a career that began oh, almost 10 years ago. Um, but hopefully hopefully the fact that he's back now... Oh, I think he wasn't he doing military service. Is that why he was gone? That's right. Mili- I mean, had- military service. Yeah, he had um, quite a long um, injury layoff. And then um, that followed with... Um, a stint in mandatory military service as well. So uh, it's unfortunate in a way because, um, you know, the prime 
years of his career um, he's lost. But, um, you know, he's, yeah. as you say, he's still you know, the right side of 30 where a fight is concerned and, uh, you know, certainly looked very sharp against um, a ranked fighter. So, uh, Actually, Wikipedia is telling me I'm wrong. He dislocated his shoulder. He didn't break his foot. That's why he was. That's why he was injured for a while. Right. Dislocated his shoulder against Aldo, which is obviously not going to be fun in a fight. <laughs> no, no. Especially when, um, as you say, Aldo's on the other side of the octagon. Um, but um, yeah, certainly um, fine return to form, fine return to the octagon, and I'm sure we'll see a lot more of the zombie um, throughout the year. Um, so all in all, good show once again. Um, the same really though can't be said of the show that followed, which was UFC 208, and this took place on the 11th of February, um, in the Barclays Center out of Brooklyn, New York. And um, I thought this was one of the worst UFC shows in quite mm. a while. UFC 208, and um, I mean, let, let's just talk about some of these fights then. I mean. The, the undercard itself was very uninspiring. All of the fights went to a decision. It was um, horrendous. The undercard was absolutely horrendous. Oh, yeah. There wasn't yeah. one fight worth watching a, a second time. No, there wasn't. No, it was um, a bunch of fighters that were very, very hesitant. And um, for whatever reason, uh, despite the fact that UFC offers you know, very attractive bonuses for best fight, you know, best knockout, best submission, etc., no, even that aside, uh, very poor. Um, the main card wasn't really much better, was it? I mean, you know, we, we had, um, let's talk about the top three fights then. I mean, we had Jack Ray, um, Ronaldo Souza, the middleweight, um, jiu-jitsu specialist against Tim Bosch. And, um, this was probably the only really exciting performance of the night and the only fight of the night which actually ended in a conclusive finish mm. uh, where Jack Ray won by submission via Kimura. Yeah, and Jack Ray looked great. He, he did. He looked out of this world. He was in great condition, and he just he just went through uh, Tim Bosch like a buzzsaw, and that's what he does. He's He is arguably the greatest uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter that's ever set foot in the octagon. Um, he is on a different level. I think Damien Mai is the only one that could maybe, and obviously Hoist Gracie, but that's come back a long way. But in this modern age, Damien Mai is the only one that's close to his level um, in terms of, of BJJ. So, you know, that that's what he does to people. And it was a really impressive performance against a guy who, he's just one of those who who can who can beat a lot of fighters, but against the elite, he'll always kind of come up short He's never really been able to put together that great run of you know five six wins in a row and, and get himself a title shot. Um, but Jack Ray fought the guy that was put in front of him and he and he beat him and he'll move on. He'll, he'll probably get the winner of uh, of Bisping's next fight and I, I think he is going to be the champion because I just think he's so well rounded. But this was the only fight and literally the only fight that I would watch back um, off this card. I said to you on the podcast that nobody will ever hear. This was a, a solid card if there was a really strong main event. But there was no main event. There was no main event caliber fight on this card for a pay-per-view. This was either a free TV card or it was a card where they had a, a fight planned and somebody dropped out and they had to scrap it before it was announced because the rest of this card just wasn't strong enough. I mean, Glover's fight was, was awful. 
and Glover's fighting a guy that has no business in the in the cage with him. Dustin Poirier and Jim Miller. I mean, those are guys that should be curtain jerking. Those those are guys that should be on you know fight pass. And um, that fight had no business on a main card. And then obviously after after Jack Ray runs through Bosch, we get an appalling judging decision where Anderson Silva gets the victory after I believe clearly losing two rounds. Um, the judge that scored at thirty twenty seven to Silva should be stripped of his license. It was a terrible performance by Anderson. Brunson didn't do anything spectacular, yeah, but it was, I thought he did more um, yeah, than very controversial. Um, many many writers, um, you know, in press row, felt that it was uh, a fight that um, Brunson won. And uh, no, Silva had his moments, um, but certainly looked nothing like the fighter that we saw. Know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, who dominated the UFC middleweight division. Mm. Um, you know, Brunson looked um, very composed throughout the fight. Um, didn't want to perhaps go too gung-ho, uh, which is understandable given that Silver is still um, one of the all-time most dangerous strikers in the history of the UFC, um, but certainly seemed to control the contest. And, um, you know, it was a surprise to many that he lost. And, uh, no, that that was doubly disappointing for UFC matchmakers. Obviously, they're you know very very keen to start making new stars, and for a, a fighter that, with respect, is is washed up, is no longer um, a top tier, top level fighter in Anderson Silva. Um, for him to win, it didn't really achieve anything. I mean, if Brunson had won this, it would have been a, a great way to set him up for a potential title shot maybe later in the year. Um, but that wasn't to be silver one, and I guess we'll see him at least one or two more times in the US. I, I only want to see him one more time. I only want to see him one more time against one specific guy. We'll get into it later, but I don't. I don't want to see him. But it's painful. It's painful to watch this fight. Um, the Cormier fight was just embarrassing to watch. The fact that he lost to Michael Bisping shows just how far he's fallen. Um, same with Dan Henderson. That's why I'm glad Henderson retired. The fact that those guys just don't wipe the floor with Michael Bisping shows how far they've fallen. So for Anderson, there's only one fight I want to see him have. And, it, you know, it's not even a fight I think he has a chance of winning. I don't think it'll even be all that competitive. But I just want to see the fight because it's a fight that was talked about for a long time. Um, but this this fight, was it was a travesty. Derek Brunson won that fight. I don't care what anyone says. Derek Brunson won that fight. And the judges should be should be strongly called into question. And it's funny because I think if it was anyone other than Anderson that had gotten that victory, I think Dana White would have been out, you know, saying that the judges had made a terrible, a terrible call. Mm, absolutely. Um, and then on to the main event then. Um, the inaugural uh, women's featherweight title contest to crown a new champion, the first champion. Um, this was a fight between... Holly Holm, the former women's bantamweight champ, and uh, Jermaine Durandamy, um, noted um, kickboxer from Holland. And um, it was that fighter from Holland, Durandamy, who won the contest and therefore won the title in a unanimous decision victory over Holly Holm. Um, this really was quite the flop of the main event, wasn't it, Dave? Well, there's a couple of issues here, Mo, in that, number one, I thought even just based on scoring the fight, I thought Holm won the fight comfortably. Um, I thought she won the fight four, four rounds to one. I didn't see Rand, the randomly do anything that deserved um, the victory. She landed some great shots. 
There's no doubt she was the more powerful striker, the more accurate striker. But home outworked her, controlled the tempo, controlled the cage. And I just, I didn't see what Durandamy did to win the fight. And then you factor in that we saw one of the worst refereeing decisions you'll ever see. I just thought it was a disgrace. I thought it was, it shouldn't have been, it wasn't a main event caliber fight uh, for a a pay-per-view like this. But the fact that Durandamy got the victory, number one, on the on the scoring, and number two, that she didn't have two points deducted for illegal strikes way after the bell. I just thought, what what have we just sat and watched? Like, what have I just given half an hour of my life to that I'm watching a terrible decision by these judges following an appalling performance by the referee? And it wasn't just the, the two... The, the, the two incidents of, of punches after the bell that the referee didn't deduct for. It was the fact that any time they were working in a clinch, he was just itching to jump in and break them up. That guy just wanted to see a kickboxing fight. That's all he wanted to see. Um, That's right. Yeah, the commentators jumped in, didn't they? Um, hmm. And, um, you know... Joe Rogan sorry, said it the referee three jumped times. in when there was action going on on yeah, the ground. Rogan said it three different times. He says, "Look at that referee. He's he's waiting to jump in. He's waiting to jump in." And then all of a sudden he jumps in, and they're working against the cage. They're working for position against the cage, and the guy is jumping in. Like I don't know what Todd Anderson does as a day job, but whatever it is, that's what he should stick to, because he's in no way qualified to be refereeing MMA fights. And I know Holly Holm has launched uh, has lodged a complaint and asked for the result to be overturned and for sanctions to be brought against the referee. And they better happen, or else the New York State Athletic Commission are a joke. And I know the UFC are going back there soon, but if we keep seeing we keep seeing results like this and performances like this, there's a lot of fighters won't want to go there because this commission just isn't up to it, and these judges aren't up to it, and this referee is literally the worst referee I think I've ever seen in MMA at, at the UFC level. Because, and like this, and there's been some bad ones. Mazagati is awful. Eve Levine's not very good. Um, Mario Yamamoto's not very good. I mean, but this guy takes the biscuit. This guy is absolutely shocking. He put Holly Holm at risk in that fight. Yeah, it was very poor. Um, very clear that being um, new to the uh, whole world of MMA is a New York State Athletic Commission. Um, uh, they've made some very grave errors in appointing a ref so inexperienced, clearly, um, to such an important fight. When they had um, somebody uh, case side, um, the New Jersey referee, um, oh, I forgot his name now, the big bald headed dude. I'm it's sure Steve something, isn't it? No, no, it's uh, Dan Merliot. Merliot. Oh, Dan Merliot, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Now, I mean, he's not one of the best referees in MMA, but I mean, he's certainly. Uh, very experienced and would have done a far better job of um, officiating that contest than Anderson did. And had he done so, then we could have had a very different outcome. Um, certainly one, possibly two points deducted, and um, that could have made all the difference. But um, yes, as you say, um, another very questionable decision. I mean, in terms of significant strikes, Durandamy did have the very, very slight edge over Holly Holm, um, but that was more in terms of um leg strikes i believe uh from durandamy but um you know it, it was one that again caused much debate and um left people overall very disappointed with with the show so um thumbs down for that one 
Um, so let's let's look ahead then to um, shows that are coming up. And you know, as we record this, we've got um, an event that's taking place just hours away um, this February the nineteenth um, in your um, adopted home country of Canada, over in Halifax, Nova Scotia. In fact. Mm. And um, this is another fight night. And um, this is a card with, um, again, perhaps uh, an underwhelming lineup, which is a bit more acceptable if it's a fight night such as this show. Um, but we've got um, two contests here that um, feature prominent fighters. Um, and let's talk about the first of those. And that's um, Johnny Hendricks, um, the former welterweight champion, against um, Hector Lombard in a middleweight bout. So, uh, what do you make of this, and where do you see this decision going? Oh, this is going to be a war. They, they, these aren't two guys that are coming to take each other. These guys are coming to take each other's heads off. So I think this is going to be a really exciting fight. Someone's going to sleep. Um, I, I, I wonder how Johnny Hendricks is going to adapt to fighting at 185. Um, he's had to move up because they're no longer allowed to have IVs after yep. the uh, weight cut. So he can't make 170 anymore. Um, but I'll tell he's you quite what, Sorry, I'll tell you what, I mean, of all of the fighters in the UFC, I thought that that change in the UFC rules probably affected him the most because yeah. before that rule was implemented, he looked like just a world beater. I mean, mm-hmm. OK, he did have one or two losses prior to the rule being implemented. But, um, you know, some of his uh, performances at, you know, the world to weight level were absolutely superb and um you know really really excited people i mean the, the fight against saint pierre which you know some felt he should have won um you know he had a great win over robbie lawler and um, a close decision win uh, loss rather against laura as well um but since since the rule came into effect um it's really seemed to have taken a number on him and he's really really struggled to make weight and um you know for the good of his health if not nothing else um it's good that he's not allowed almost to go back down to the welterweight division and fight to a better weight of the middleweight division albeit he still has to cut some 15 to 20 pounds just to make that weight class because yeah i mean he's a big guy he walks around at pretty much at light heavyweight he's a big big guy he's short but he's like he's he's built like a tank um i i i just i'd like to see the ufc change their weight class structure i'd like to see it like go to say you know one Take it from the fives and move out, move some of them up five pounds, move some of them down five pounds. Maybe I'd like to see a one ninety class. I'd like to see a two hundred class, maybe a two fifteen class, and then heavyweights above that. Um, I just I think you'd you'd get more balance. I think a lot of guys could fight at more natural weight classes then and fight against guys who are more their own size rather than you get some guys they're cutting huge amounts of weight like. Johnny Hendricks is a prime example, um, cutting enormous amounts of weight to get get himself down to uh, to welterweight, and like you say, just doing damage to himself in the long term. Um, I know McGregor was cutting a lot of weight as well to get down to one forty five, and we see how much better he looks at one fifty five, just from a physical standpoint. At one forty five. He, he'll destroy everybody but John Johnny Jones is another one like Jones is a heavyweight John Jones is a heavyweight he cuts to light heavyweight but he's not a light heavyweight he's a heavyweight he walks around about 240 245 he's as big as a house um, that's a guy who'd be fighting a heavyweight but one of the 
I reckon one of the reasons that Jones has had so many problems is because he's been cutting weight and he's doing different things to try and um, keep himself down to 205 and he's having to mask that then and it's putting a lot of strain in his body and it's a psychological thing as well I mean cutting that much weight doesn't do your brain any good either so I think the UFC it's something they need to look at is maybe adding more weight classes um, I, I definitely think you know when 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 Sonnen Jail Sonnen was been interviewed recently he talked about Anderson Silva and he said that Anderson's natural weight class would actually be about 180 even though he's fought at 205 Anderson's natural weight class would have been about 180 and maybe it would have been, but like he could have fought at 190 either, and then you could have got some nice crossover with some of the guys at 205. Like Rashad Evans is another guy who's too too small for light heavyweight, too big for middleweight. A 190, 195 weight class probably would have been perfect for him. Johnny Hendricks, I don't know how he's going to do at, uh, at, at 185. I think 170, sorry, 180 would have been better for him. Um, just that that five pounds can make a lot of difference. So th- this fight throws up a lot of questions, and I know the the questions that this new fighters union are bringing forward as well in regards to weight classes. They want to see more weight classes and fighters not having to cut the extreme weights. So um, this this fight will tell us a lot about the adaption of Johnny Hendricks into um, into the one the one eighty five division. I mean, if Lombard tears his head off then we're going to have questions. But Lombard himself is a guy who's fought at welterweight. He's only just moved up to middleweight or moved back to middleweight. But when he was down at welterweight, he was he was busted for um, busted for steroids, you know, because he was trying to cut weight and stuff. So it just it, it's a bit of a mess. Like the weight class is, is a bit of a mess. And this fight kind of is, is two guys who've been, I don't want to say screwed by the system because they made choices, but they've been exposed as guys who were cutting too much weight and having to do so outside of the rules. Indeed, yes. Um, will be interesting to see how it goes. I mean, if it's uh, a win for Lombard, and therefore fourth consecutive loss for um, Hendricks, then you might have to even wonder if he's got a future in the UFC. Um, so, you know, a lot at stake for both of these guys. Both of these guys, um, because because Lombard is coming in off two straight losses, two straight knockout losses. If Johnny Hendricks knocks him out, I think, and the fight before that was overturned to a no contest because he got busted for steroids. So I think I think the loser could, could go home after this one. Mo, I, I think one of these guys could end up out of the UFC. Well, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lombard himself, no spring chicken, just turned thirty nine. Um, so one of the older fighters in the UFC and, uh, you know, the stakes are high in this one. Um, so we'll see what the outcome of that one is. Um, the main event then features the number eight ranked fighter in the heavyweight division, um, Derek Lewis against a uh, number nine ranked fighter in Travis Brown. Um, as Jim Ross would say, this should be quite a slobber knocker, Dave. Yeah, I mean... I think Lewis will take this fight because I think Travis Brown is, is on his way out. I think he's... I don't think he's he's had done himself any favours. I think he's working with that dreadful coach that also works with Ronda. Um, he's just not a good coach at all. He's, you know, a lot of people like Joe Rogan uh, will say he's one of the worst coaches out there. Um, I saw the Joe Rogan podcast. He had... What's the name of that guy? The guy that used to go out with Ronda Rousey. He used to. He was on the Ultimate Fighter. Oh God, I can't think of his name. Now you're asking. 
Um, I, I can't think of his name, but uh, he he talked about him as well, and he obviously he he trained there a little bit when he was seeing Ronda, and he just he had nothing good to say about him at all. Um, wasn't in any way complimentary of the guy, and I think I think Brown is a guy who should have been a UFC champion. I think he had all the tools to do it. I think his physical tools, his natural skill, the work ethic that he had early in his career was special. And I just, I don't think, um, I don't think he's done himself any favors. Brandon, uh, Brendan Shaw is the guy I'm trying to think of. I think he's quite Ronda. Um, but I, I just don't think Brown. And it's uh, really, Tar Verdian, um, the coach of uh, the coach. Yeah, I just don't think Travis Brown is is anywhere close to the fighter he should have been. I mean, when you look at some of his, his early fights in the UFC, this guy looked like Fedor, but stretched out to 6-7. He had, you know, incredible power. He was really quick on his feet. And when you look at what he was doing when he first came into the UFC, destroyed James McSweeney, destroyed Stefan Struve, um, lost to Bigfoot Silva, but then came back and absolutely annihilated Gonzaga, Overeem and Verd- and Josh Barnett. I mean, Overeem and Barnett, those are two legit guys. Two two guys that, when they talk about the all-time greats, those two guys are in that conversation. They're not at the top of that conversation, but they're mentioned. But since then, I mean, you know, lost to Verdum, lost to Arlovsky, destroyed by Kane, lost to Verdum again, and, and hasn't looked competitive in any of those fights. Hasn't looked anywhere near where he should have been. Um, and those are the guys he should have been, especially Arlovsky. I mean, he should have destroyed Arlovsky. Uh, but those are the guys, Verdum and Kane, that he needs to be beating if he wants to be in the title picture. And he got absolutely annihilated by them all. I think Derek Lewis is going to win this fight. I think Derek Lewis is a guy with a, a really, you know, well-rounded game. He's he's a big-time knockout artist, but he's he's solid with his grappling. Um I think he's he's someone that can definitely put Travis Brown to sleep. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, five straight wins um, in the UFC now over the last um, what 16, 17 months, and uh, four of those by way of KO or TKO. So uh, certainly one of the best records in uh, the heavyweight division. And, um, you know, on top of that, certainly one of the younger fighters in heavyweight division in terms of um, ranked fighters, only 32. Um, and given a lot of the top fighters in the division are in their late 30s or even mm-hmm. coming to their 40s, um, you know, if, if he has a good performance here, um, you know, it could set him up very, very nicely um, for a title shot. Maybe not immediately, perhaps another one or two more fights down the line. And um, certainly... Yeah, this will put him in. This will put him in, in a, a number one contender type fight, I think, or or get yeah. him to, to that sort of level. I mean, he he didn't turn pro till he was in his mid twenties. A lot of these guys, you know, that are his age, turn pro at nineteen twenty. So he was a late a late starter, um, which should mean he peaks later than the rest as well. So I, I think he's just getting started. I know he's had a couple of bad losses. I mean. Mitrione beat him and, and Sean Jordan really badly beat him. But I think I think that the, the form he's been in the last two years, um, you know, he's run off, as you said, 
five straight wins, four of them by KO. That's that's where he wants to be right now in his career. And I think this this will be a big test because Brown is still a good fighter. I've just I'm overly disappointed with with Travis Brown and what what he's become. Whereas when I saw him first, I thought this guy is going to be an absolute monster, and he just he never developed. No, that's right, absolutely. Um, but uh, another one that will be very intri- intriguing to see um, the outcome of that contest and where it leaves the careers of both the opponents in that main event. Um, fast forwarding beyond uh, that show, then onto um, the UFC's next pay per view, which is UFC 209, and taking place on the 4th of March in the T Mobile Arena and that lovely, huge new arena in uh, Las Vegas on the Strip. And um, this has got a very good lineup, um, mm. a lot of um, bigger names. And uh, you know, we'll just talk about three of the fights coming up on that card. Um, let's start with um, Alistair Overeem and Mark Hunt in a heavyweight contest. Um, you know, two big names, two hard-hitting fighters. And um, what's interesting... Two K-1 kickboxing champions as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, the other kind of interesting uh, dynamic to this is the um, issues that Hunt, sorry, Hunt has had um, very um, well-known issues with UFC... Uh, regarding his uh, loss to Brock Lesnar last year and um, you know, the core action that he's taken out with them. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised when this fight was announced. I didn't think we'd see Mark Hunt for a while. Um, I'm glad he's back because I like Mark Hunt. He's, a, you know, he's just a normal guy who goes to work and his job just tends to happens to be fighting. Um, I, I like Hunt. I, I'd, I'd like to see him win this fight. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that he's been so vocal against PED users after the Lesnar thing, and now he's fighting a guy with a very, very checkered past when it comes to PEDs. So I'm surprised he took this fight, but maybe he's, he wants to prove a point. But I think this will be fun. I don't know if it'll last all that long. I think, I think again, someone will be going to sleep, but... Um, I think it'll be fun while it does last, or at least it should be. Oh, that's right. Um, this is certainly one which you'd be very surprised if it went the full distance. Um, you know, two very hard hitters, and um, you know, both have got a point to, point to prove. So um, it really could go either way, and whoever lands that first very, very powerful punch um, could be the one that will have his arm-raising victory. Um, then let's f- look forward to the semi-main event, which is um, a fight that's got many, many um, hardcore MMA fans very excited. It's a lightweight contest between uh, Habib Nurmagomedov and uh, Tony Ferguson, and um, you know two excellent, very well-rounded fighters. Habib, obviously undefeated, I think he's 24 and 0, and then Tony Ferguson, who's been on quite the tear in the last several years. Um, so very eagerly awaited. Uh, what do you make of this, and where do you see this one going? This is this is the best fight they could have made for either of these guys. Um, obviously, both of them wanted McGregor. McGregor wants to take some time off, and he also wants to pursue something else. But I mean, th- this is going to be. I think this is going to be a great fight. I'm not. I can't even pick a winner, Mo. I I lean towards Habib. Um, I just. I just wonder though, like Ferguson hits really hard, and Habib's strength is his grappling, and Ferguson's an absolute wizard on the ground. 
So, I don't know, it, maybe it's one of those fights where even though you look at everything on paper and you'd probably say Habib would be the favourite, maybe Habib's style just plays into Ferguson's hands. Very hard to pick a winner here. It is. Um, you know, Habib um, perhaps looked to keep it on the ground. Um, no, Ferguson's very dangerous on his feet. Um, no, Habib is um, obviously also very strong on on his feet, but might be slightly wary of trying to stand toe to toe with Ferguson. Um, but you know, he's, he's supremely confident. We've seen that when he's talked about McGregor, when he's talked about himself, um, clearly not, um, lacking in any confidence. He really mm. thinks that, um, you know, becoming a champion is in his destiny, albeit it's the interim title that's at stake in this one. Um, but you know, he, he'll only feel satisfied when he, fights the champion, the man himself, uh, Conor McGregor. Well, whether that will happen this year or further down the line, who knows? But, um, you know, that's a fight that Habib wants and um, you know, that's a fight that he thinks he'll get. But um, he's got a very formidable opponent in uh, Tony Ferguson to get through first. And it really, really could go either way. I mean, both are yeah. such talented I mean, fighters. Can we just take a moment, though, to point out that it is an absolute farce that this fight is for an interim title? Uh, there's no reason for it to be for a title. It's the same as that crap we saw at Featherweight when um, uh, um, Aldo and yeah, yeah, Aldo was just given a title and Pettis like Aldo fought for an interim belt and then was just given the title and then Pettis um, fought Max Holloway and all of a sudden that was for an interim title as well. So now you've got two title holders uh, at lightweight when the real champion is it's still McGregor, whether anyone likes it or not. And then there's this garbage going on as well. Um, if McGregor wants to hand back the titles, that's fine. Um, maybe at lightweight or at featherweight, rather, it's, it's justified at this point because it's probably been the best part of a year. Maybe it is a year. Um, I'm not sure since he fought at, at featherweight. Um, but this is this is farcical that this is for a, a title. I think it's just their attempts to kind of throw belts around it and make everything seem more important than it actually is. This is a great fight regardless. This fight doesn't need a title. This fight would have sold. This fight would have headlined a card. I mean, how is how did we see UFC 208 without a headline fight? And this card has two undisputed headline fights. This Habib-Tony Ferguson fight is one that everybody wants to see. And of course, you know the main event is going to be a great fight because everybody loved the first fight between those two guys. But this fight could have headlined 208. And I, I don't know, the UFC, they're just doing really weird things with their matchmaking and their, and their stacking of cards lately. I think this is going to be one of the fights of the year, though, Mo. I genuinely do. I think this is one of the fights of the year. And while while I do think Khabib will be the favourite, it's so it, it's impossible for me to pick because Ferguson. You mentioned how great his stand up is. Like his submissions are just spectacular. He has I think six submission wins in his last seven or eight fights or something crazy. Um, he's just getting chokes and putting people to sleep. And there's very few fighters that are that good striking and that good on the ground. He's got both. Habib's strength is his wrestling, so maybe he can control position. But I don't know. This fight, just it, it's impossible for me to pick. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be a very close one. Um, I do think that Habib has got the very slight edge, and I do fancy him to win. But um, certainly would be no surprise to see Ferguson win. And as you say, it should be extremely entertaining. I mean, 
uh, Ferguson's fought uh, his last five fights. He's either been in the fight of the night or he's had the performance of the night. So, uh, you know, he's a very exciting fighter. And uh, you know, Khabib in himself, um, you know, with the right opponent can certainly uh, take part in a very exciting fight too. Um, let's talk about the main event then. And, um, you know, this is another very eagerly awaited one uh, for the welterweight contest, the welterweight title rather, um, this between the champion Tyron Woodley against the Wonder Boy Stephen Thompson. So, um, do you predict an upset um, with Thompson becoming the champion, or will the champion retain? I'd like to see Wonder Boy win this fight. Um, I thought Woodley won the first fight. I, at, the, at the time, I thought maybe Thompson won it, but I've watched it back a couple of times, um, and I, I think Woodley did win the fight. Um, I just, this time, I don't know, I, I just think Thompson will find different things to throw at, at Tyrone. And I, I just think with Woodley, you know what he's going to do. He's he's a very predictable fighter. Um, he's the typical wrestler with a big overhand right. That's what he is. That's what he does. Um, Tom, you don't know what Thompson's going to do. I'm not sure Thompson knows what Thompson's going to do um, from you know one minute to the next. So... The unpredictability is what Thompson has going into this fight, and if he maximizes that, and if he can keep Woodley, you know, off his timing and keep him at distance, I definitely think he can take the win here. Oh, certainly. Um, you know, it was a draw the last time round when these two fought um, back in November, and um, you know, would have given Wonder Boy a lot of confidence. Um, really went toe to toe with Woodley. Some felt that he won it, and. Uh, you know, Woody, um, in contrast, will feel he's got something to prove. He knows that, um, you know, there are those that felt he didn't win it and, uh, sorry, wasn't deserving of the win. And, you know, he will certainly be going into it wanting to prove a point to show that he is the main man um, in the division. So, again, very, very close. Um, could go either way. Um, but I actually fancy an upset, um, albeit it's a slight upset with uh, the Wonder Boy becoming the new champion. Mm. Uh, but a I very, mean, very good card. Sorry, I think the, the shadow that looms over this welterweight fight, though, is is GSP, and I think there's there's always going to be a large number of people who'll see whoever has the welterweight title, and until they face GSP, they'll just view them as a paper champion. Um, I agree with what you said earlier. I thought Johnny Hendricks beat GSP as well, but he, you know, GSP got the result, and then he walked away. Um, and I, I think he, I think GSP would beat these guys comfortably. Personally, I think GSP in his prime um, beats either of these guys comfortably. So, I, I think with Woodley, Woodley is the type of guy who, you know, he, he's got a bit of an ego. Um, he likes to talk himself up. He wants those big fights as well. So for him, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's kind of looking beyond Thompson and looking at that potential GSP fight. Um, and maybe that's that's what will cost him in this one. Maybe you know he won't be fully focused on, on the task at hand and, and Thompson can take advantage. Indeed, yes. Um, quite right to point out that um, GSP is one fighter that... Um, Certainly looms large, casting a big shadow over the welterweight division and um, with huge amount of talk about his uh, imminent return back to the UFC. Um, you've got to imagine that he'll be right back in the title mix 
um, you know, we, within a short space of time. And um, whether it's Woodley or the Wonder Boy uh, walking away with a title, um, George St. Pierre will certainly be a, a person that we talked about as a potential next opponent. So, um, yes, exciting times all round uh, where that show's concerned and also with uh, the welterweight title. Um, then there's just the one more show that um, we'll kind of preview then, and that's um, the UFC's first foray back into Brazil uh, with a fight night headlined uh, by um, Vitor Belfort, the phenom against Kelvin Gastelum in a middleweight contest. And, um, you know, this is... Um, a potential career-defining one for Gastelum if he was to pull off a victory here. Um, and it might, you know, in contrast, even be Belfort, Swansong, win, lose, lose or draw. So um, another intriguing contest. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting fight. I mean, Vitor will be the heavy favourite going into it. Um, I, I think Vitor's at the end of his run. I think it, it, this could be his last, his last uh, you know, farewell for for Gastelum, the the path to victory is very clear. Survive the first round. You survive the first round with Vitor, and your chances of winning go from twenty percent to sixty five percent. Vitor is a guy who burns himself out in that first round. It's, he's done it his whole career. You can look at his whole career, and the vast majority of his wins come in the first round. If it goes beyond the first round, he, he, that's where you know his losses are. Um, I'd like to see Vitor go out on a high. Um, he's one of the most spectacular fighters we've ever seen. Maybe the most naturally gifted fighter that there's ever been. Incredible striker. Good jiu-jitsu. Um, but just never could put it all together. Maybe there's some confidence issues, I don't know. But he's never been as good as he should have been um, with, the, with the talent that he had. Um, made some poor decisions. Obviously, has failed a bunch of drug tests as well. Um, but Vitor, Vitor is a guy that I think anybody who's a, a real MMA fan has has enjoyed watching Vitor as much as anybody that we've seen, and they include Anderson and all those guys in that. Vitor, at his best, was just he was spectacular to watch. He was so much fun, um, and he was a killer. Like he didn't go in there to get a decision. He went into end fights and. You have to hand it to him. He's had a great career. And if he does not gastle him out or, or get beaten and then he says, look, that's it for me, you know, the Hall of Fame is next for him because that's that's the caliber of fighter he was. He was he was fantastic. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, one of the uh, all-time greats. Um, you know, he's somebody that I've almost grown up with, um, mm. pretty much the same age as myself. And... Um, uh, and all the years I've been watching UFC, even in those dark days when they used to run shows in, um, you know, those, those outlaw states in Mississippi and places like that. Um, you know, he was there. He was there for UFC, um, then ventured elsewhere. Um, but, you know, being a staple part of the mixed martial arts scene um, throughout throughout its evolution and, uh, you know, certainly a very uh, highly regarded fighter. Um, as you say, one who... You, you have to feel didn't quite fulfill his potential. I mean, the, the death of his or disappearance initially of his sister mm. back in 2004 must have had an impact on him. And, um, you know, that's it. And that was right about where he was. I mean, what age was he? he was 26, 27 at the time. Yeah. And he'd been, he'd been around a while at that point. So that was his sort of prime. 
Um, I mean, we're talking about v- Vitor made his debut in 1996. We're 21 years into Vitor Belfort's career. And, you know, it, it is just one of those things where that happened and all of a sudden... I mean, he, he'd just beaten Randy. I know it was a doctor stoppage, but he'd beaten Randy. Then that happened, and then he lost to Randy. He lost to Tito. He lost to Overeem. Um, and he was never really the same, but it, he was he was so exciting back in the day. I mean, everybody's seen the highlight of the fight against Vanderlei, where he just blitzed through him and destroyed him. Um, I think there's real scope for arguing that Vitor, Vitor is, is one of those guys who, you know, really defined mixed martial arts and the evolution of it because he was one of those, one of the very first guys that was really well-rounded. But, I mean, look at the names he's got on his on his list. Like I said, Vanderlei, Randy Couture, he beat Rumble Johnson, he beat Michael Bisping, he beat Luke Rockhold, he beat Dan Henderson, he beat Rich, Fla- Rich Franklin, he beat Matt Lindland. That's that's a really strong who's it's who. It's a very strong of the middleweight division, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and, you know, look, I know he's he's had some tough losses and of late he, he hasn't had the best kind of run but I mean what a career that guy has had like he beat Dan Henderson twice he knocked Dan Henderson out twice that's that tells you like he's still absolutely lethal as a striker um, oh. and I mean his knockouts you look at the knockouts in the last couple of years Bisping head kick punches Luke Rockhold spinning head kick punches Dan Henderson head kick Dan Henderson again, head kick and punches. A spectacular, spectacular fighter. Um, but he's been knocked out three times in the last two years by Weidman, by uh, by Jacare, and by uh, Musasi. So for me, I, I think it is time to call it a day for Vitor. Um, he, his fight fighting style has, has put him in harm's way, shall we say, and. I think it, it might just be time to hang it up after this fight. He's not the only one in this card. There's another legend on this card in Shogun who I think should hang it up as well. Another guy who just an exceptionally exciting fighter. You remember the Pride days, Mo, where that guy looked like he was the best fighter in the world. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and his, knees, his knees just failed him when he came to the UFC. I think, I think he had three torn ACLs. And he just he never recovered. And but for those who saw Shogun and Pride, they they know what that guy was. And again, those who saw Vitor um, destroying everybody when when the mood took him, you know these these are two guys that all of MMA owe a great debt of gratitude to, um, and all of MMA should say thank you to. And I'd like to see them both. It's actually it's the one it's one fight I would have loved to have seen at some point with Shogun against Vitor. Um, we'll never see it, I wouldn't say. But I think these both these guys should go out after this this card. Indeed. And in fact, um, just going back to one of the things you mentioned earlier on about how you might want to see Anderson in one more fight. What, would that opponent be Belfort or no? You had in mind? It would be it would be GSP. Okay. Because uh, yes, yes. when they were both dominant in the UFC, Anderson at one eighty five, GSP at one seventy. There was a lot of talk that there was a super fight in the works that maybe they'd meet halfway at 177 and a half. 
Um, Anderson was confident he could make the weight. GSP obviously would, would have no problem fighting at one, 177 and a half. Uh, there was a lot of talk for a lot of years that that was a fight that Dana wanted to put together. And I just think with GSP back and, you know, Anderson on the probably on the way out, maybe, look, Anderson might hang around for a few years and just collect some, some paychecks. And if that's what he wants to do, he's pretty much earned the right to do it. But at the same time, it's not fun to watch Anderson fight anymore. But the nostalgia factor of a GSP-Anderson fight, given they dominated basically a decade of the UFC, um, it could be fun just to watch just to watch that fight and then see Anderson say goodbye. And then see GSP go and fight whoever is on the card forum, whether it's Woodley, Wonderboy, or what would unquestionably be the biggest fight in MMA history against Conor McGregor. Um, I, I think GSP coming back against Anderson would be... Just a way to ease him back in, but also, you know, a fight that people would want to see. I think it'd do big numbers. Oh, it certainly would, yes. Um, a dream fight for a long, long time. And if it was to happen, if the UFC matchmakers could put it together, it would certainly be huge. Um, right. So uh, just before we finish, just a couple of other stories that have um, been the, the talk of the MMA scene in the last couple of weeks. Uh, first of all, um, there's a certain individual by the name of Brock Lesnar who has um, once again announced his retirement from um, UFC and mixed martial arts. So um, what did he make of this story when it broke? Off through some more steroids. By retiring, he gets taken out of the testing pool. So he can now do steroids for another 12 or 18 months, then declare he wants to fight again. And, you know, he can have reaped the rewards of all the steroids he'll put into himself. Uh, I never... <laughs> I've never enjoyed watching Lesnar fight. I've never felt he was a particularly good fighter. Um, he he just was bigger than everybody else. Um, I think we saw him get beaten by Mir. We saw him get destroyed by Overeem, destroyed by Kane. Shane Carwin was beating him comfortably um, until he gassed out. So I, I just I don't want to see Lesnar. Lesnar fighting doesn't interest me at all. Uh, he should stick to WWE, um, where maybe his uh, his rampant steroid usage is more acceptable to, to his uh, paymasters. But I, I, I think the only reason he's he's walking away from MMA at the moment is because he wants to take more steroids. That's that's it. Well, I don't like to be cynical, but I couldn't I can't disagree, Dave. Um, you know, we, we've got the small matter of WrestleMania coming up for. Uh, the WWE got to um, take them steroids before Mania. Got to look good for Mania. Absolutely, yeah. Got to be in tip-top shape for the big show. So, um, you know, it, it, it's not surprising, is it? You know, and uh, also we wouldn't be surprising if, you know, as you speculated, another year, eighteen months down the line, he announces another comeback. But um, the thing as well, though, is that there's a chance that he goes into Mania and comes out to WWE champion because we know he's going to fight Goldberg. There's a chance that Goldberg walks in as champion. And Lesnar's beating Goldberg at WrestleMania because he's lost the last couple of times. So he's getting the payoff. So maybe he's just been told, by the way, you're walking out of Mania as champion. We're going to need you to do a full schedule. So that might have a factor in it as well, that he's just not going to have time to do UFC fights. Um, he's going to run with the belt. Maybe it'll be his last run with the belt for you know six, eight months, whatever. Um, so that could be a factor as well. Indeed, absolutely. So... Uh... You know, plenty of scenarios, but um, for more wrestling talk, 
join us on the uh, Pro Wrestling Index as well, which I'm part of every week. Um, and then finally, uh, before we go, we can't end the show without talking about the story that never ends, that always creates talk within the MMA scene and beyond. It's will it happen? Won't it happen? Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather Jr. So they keep teasing us, Dave. Do you think it actually will happen? I think there's too much money to be made for it not to happen. Um, I think we're potentially looking at the biggest fight ever in terms of pay-per-views. Uh, they could even like they could beat the the, the Mayweather Pacquiao pay-per-view Two. numbers 4. because four million, four point four million. Because look, McGregor's just got that appeal, and Floyd has that appeal, and everybody will want to see Floyd fight one more time because everybody wants to see Floyd lose. Floyd will be going for 50-0, which hasn't been done. Um, so I think I think there will be a huge amount of interest in this fight. I think you'll get all the crossover fans from both sports will buy in. And I, I just think there's, there's probably the, a billion dollars to be made here overall for, you know, to be split up amongst promoters and McGregor and, and Mayweather and whoever else. So I, I just think this fight has to happen because there's just too much money involved. For McGregor, it's a no-risk no fight. If he loses, well, he's not a boxer, so why should he win? Um, but he has everything to gain because if he beats Floyd Mayweather, then all of a sudden he's he's the biggest star, not only in MMA, but he's the biggest star in sports. And he's beaten arguably a top 10, top 5 boxer of all time. Now, for Mayweather, the the out is well I'm I'm old I'm retired I'm I'm you know many years past my best and I was sitting at home for two years so there's there's a lot of positives the positive for Mayweather obviously is the chance to make another hundred million um there's there's no real negatives for either of them except for Mayweather the tarnish on his legacy of being 49 and 1 rather than 50 and 0 uh I, I think it will happen Mo I just I think they're going to figure it out eventually I think Dana likes to posture and likes to say a lot of things but at the end of the day for all the mouth Dana doesn't really have much say in what happens because he doesn't own the company he's just an employee and we saw when the Fertitas were running the UFC that Dana would say things and then get overruled Um, and that was when he had much more of a say than he does now so I do think this will happen I think it will happen under with with the UFC as a co-promoter um, with McGregor and Mayweather uh, I think the only question left is where and when um, I'd love to see it in Dallas in that beautiful stadium they have there and um, I'd love to see it happen I just, I, I think it should happen it'd be fun, Like that's what fighting's about it's fun, let it happen indeed, yeah and uh, you know, we might even see Mr Hendrick um, at pressure or and when it does oh, if it happens, I'm there if it happens, I'm there. My man Bob Sturm, number one sports guy in, in Dallas, the king of Dallas sports. Bob Sturm has guaranteed me front row seats for that fight. So if it happens, I'm there. Um, yeah, that that's that's a once in a lifetime. That is. In- oh yeah. Well, there you, there you have it, listeners. Um, one half of the MMA Monthly crew will be uh, on hand live and in living colour to uh, witness that historic fight um, if and when it happens and. Um, the feeling now is is that it's much less of a, a fantasy. It could well become a reality in 2017. And if it does, or when it does, uh, we'll be here to talk, talk about it. 
Uh, right, so before we oh, wrap up... I wanted to mention to you. Yeah. Bellator. Oh, yes. The nonsense where Mitrione has to pull out of the fight. The Fedor debut is delayed. Whatever. That's not what I actually want to talk about. Scott Coker came out and said he was approached by three different fighters who were willing to step in on short notice. One of them was Chael Sonnen. It's no surprise that Chael would take that fight, given it's Chael, he's, he's always been one who'll just turn up and fight, and he's coming off an embarrassing loss. I can't remember who the other one was. But the third guy he named was Tito Ortiz. Now, only a couple of weeks ago, Tito Ortiz said he was retired. That was it. You know, he did the thing where he put his gloves in the octagon and he brought his son in and it was a load of big wank and he said that's it I'm done I'm, you're never going to see me fight again but then all of a sudden he's willing to fight Fedor now I don't think Tito's done I think there's I think we're going to see Tito again I'm not sure who it'll be against maybe it'll be against Fedor but I wanted to get your thoughts on it I mean for me I don't know why Tito is retiring when there's the Fedor fight. I, I, I know why he's retiring because he's no good anymore. But there's the Fedor fight and there's the Vanderlei rematch that Vanderlei desperately wants. Do you think we'll see Tito again? Absolutely, yes. Um, you know, he's a guy that you just can't take him seriously, can you? I mean, if the money's right, if the opponent's right, you know, he'll come back. I mean, the whole thing with the gloves and everything else is just... Uh, uh, meaningless it really is some and that the actions of somebody with very little credibility um yeah. as much as he's been a big big star in mma for many years um you know we all know that he's just one of the less reliable and trustworthy individuals within the sport so yeah i mean if the fight with Fed, fedor's there to be had um and he'll know that he can make a couple hundred thousand or more he'll go for it he'll come straight out of retirement and have it so yeah in answer to the question yeah, it can happen and it probably will. Right then, well, that brings us to the end of the show. Um, so before we go, Dave, um, it's plugs time. Have you got anything to plug or promote? Yeah, a few things. Everything on Anfield Index, obviously. Um, I believe Gennaro and Gags are doing a podcast next week. I think it's going to be entitled We're Five Foot Six and Under, um, a short pod. Um, that's a private joke. Um <laughs> So, yeah, that'll be fun. There's loads of great stuff out in AI at the moment. Um, Mark Simpson sat in for John Ritchie on the latest Red Room. That was really good. Um, Liver Birds was really good. If everybody could do me a huge favor and message at Fidzy and tell him to get Jumpers for Goalposts done and out as soon as possible. Um, if you haven't listened to the Jumpers for Goalposts City and Club uh, series, Make sure you do the best thing going. I'm doing a few bits and pieces in the next kind of two weeks. I'll be doing Total Football with Gennaro. There are rumours that there may be another podcast in the next two weeks. I'm doing some stuff for World Football Index. I'm going to do a podcast with football purists. Um, so there'll be a fair bit from me. Um, I'm sure me and Mo will be back soon. And I might even get invited onto the wrestling pod soon. You never know. You never know. Um, oh, it'd be good to have you back on, Dave. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on the uh, early Pro Wrestling Index shows from um, nearly two years ago now, I think it is. Um, it'd be great if, you know, 
schedules and time differences allow uh, for you to be back on that show soon. Um, but that, that's pretty much the only thing on top of what Dave's already plugged. I just want to plug um, my weekly Pro Wrestling Index podcast, um, which I feature with um, Andy Wells. And, um, you know, we're now into the uh, run into WrestleMania. So a very, very uh, busy few weeks coming up. Lots to talk about on that podcast. Um, but um, that, that that's something for wrestling fans to go and check out. Well, that brings us to an end to um, a very um, content-filled MMA Monthly. We had a lot to talk about. We've crammed it all into just over an hour. Um, join us again next month where we'll be talking about all the other happenings of all the shows that we've previewed as well as all, all the upcoming events from uh, the end of March and into April. So um, thanks for joining us and join us again next month. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.